I do think we just have to get over this initial hurdle. And one of the reasons I say that writings is in a big part based on feedback and editing. And when I think of feedback, get feedback from your editor that can be like, Hey, you didn't, you know, write this correctly for whatever reasons, but there's also visual feedback, which is you write a scene and now you can actually see that scene visually. And you're like, Oh, wow. It actually doesn't look great visually and something that people weren't able to do before. And you can get that immediate feedback. Welcome to Humans of AI, where we tell the real stories of those who are building an AI or are making use of it in their daily lives. Today's guest is Josh Vector, the CEO and founder of Squibbler, a startup seeking to be your AI copywriter and storyteller. Josh is a growth hacking expert, a builder of communities, and has written several books on software tech writing and copywriting for personal brands. If you want to catch the latest episodes of the Humans of AI podcast, make sure to subscribe and check out my free AI newsletter, Chaos Theory. And find me on social at Alex Chowmander. Now, without further ado, here's my talk with Josh. Hello, everybody. I'm Alex. I'm here joined with Josh. He is the CEO of Squibbler, the AI book writer. And he's here to, to join the Humans of AI podcast to talk more about what he's doing with, with uh, his company, but also just share his story of, of how he got here. So, Josh, just to kick it off, do you want to share a bit of your, your origin story? how you yeah. got to where you are today. Well, thank you for having me on and excited to be here and for everybody listening. So uh, the origin story, of, I think there's an origin story of how I started getting into AI and origin story of how I got into writing. So those are you know a little bit separate and they merge. Uh, the origin story of getting into AI, uh, I was running an agency. So I ha- owned an agency in Venice Beach and we had it was sizable. We had like 35 employees and mostly focused on marketing, uh, but also had a big ghostwriting arm of the agency. And I was always attracted to writing and what that could do for people. And uh, most of our clients were founders. And when the and we all started a boot camp along with that to teach people how to do marketing, mostly like what you would call like growth hacking at the time, running automation on LinkedIn and all those things. They can't really do as much anymore now. And one of my clients is now my co-founder. That's how I met him. And he was working on an AI company and they were focused on sentiment analysis for text. And so it's like, you could look at text and understand the emotions of different text. I don't think it was very accurate. <laughs> it was really cool when I, when I started looking at it. Um, Partly because I was so interested in writing at that time, I think I was maybe 26 and I had already written like a few books, mostly they're all books focused on software documentation. So not like exciting fiction books or anything, but uh, basically how to work with software and make it more reliable for different projects you're working on. And I uh, was just excited to dive in with him and learn more about what he was working on and decided to pivot that company. I was like, hey, this doesn't have clear product market fit. And um, what do we sell to enterprise? What do we sell to who the customer base be? And basically figured out we had to um, pivot it some way. And we started running ads to a landing page that said, hey, we have a book writing software and just to see if they would convert. Um, And people started converting from Google ads and we're like, okay, well, maybe we should build this out. And at that time there was... I want to say one other book writing software on the market called Scrivener. Scrivener is still pretty popular today. I believe around that time, they're doing about $2 million a year, just mostly book writers and screenplay writers. Not a lot of good marketing. Um, and I think they put pretty much zero effort into their marketing. 
but they're the only option, you know, when you're the only option, you, you just tend to win out, especially if you're the only option for like the last 10 years. <laughs> and they also weren't cloud-based and we're like, oh, that's really interesting. They're just a desktop-based software and they're only other competitors, Microsoft Word. So we're like, okay, let's get into this space. And first thing that we learn is starting a software company is very expensive. You know, it just... To be able to bootstrap, especially anything editor-based, right? Anything editor-based is going to be more expensive. And editor-based tools you could think of like Figma or I want to even say website creation tools like Webflow. But the barrier to entry to get into that space is very expensive. If you don't raise capital, we didn't raise capital. So um, what I did is I actually ended up departing that agency and gave it to my partner at the time. And I started... It took over as a majority owner of Product HQ, which is at that time was one of the largest product training companies, and then started Technical Writer HQ, which now is the largest technical writing training company today, and HR University. Um, because I learned how the product training company worked. And I was like, hey, what other spaces can we do this in? So those companies <laughs> that I bootstrapped actually fueled the bootstrapping of this company, <laughs> which is pretty wild. Uh, I don't know if that was all intended, but that's how everything ended up working out. And uh, while that was going on, um, worked as a technical writer, one of my first jobs, uh, writing software documentation for video editing software. And that made me very interested in just the technical writing space in general. And then I uh, really got excited about information architecture. And when I started learning about that, I was like, oh, wow, this really applies to like book writing and writing. And I wonder what would happen if we just start mapping all these words as data and what that would look like. And trying to get a better understanding of, okay, so we have, you know, someone mentions a character name or a setting name. How do we map that data point? And then that way later in the story, you know, all the context, that data point. This was before we were like, hey, this is an AI company. We were just going, how can we just map the data as best as possible so we can create um, like better outcomes? We didn't exactly know what that outcome would be. So we just started there. And then I think when at some point, my partner, because he had worked in AI for a significant amount of time, uh, he's also just a very smart guy. He's he works as a senior PM at Microsoft right now. And I believe his work still focuses on AI. So he's always trying to push that. He's like, we got to find a way to introduce this. And I was like, if it makes sense, it makes sense. I don't want to like, just like, you know. <laughs> um, and found a way to uh, basically introduce them together with this idea called elements. And what we realized is that um, in order to keep stories, or I want to say, any data point like very clear across a narrative and um, you have to have metadata to that data point right so that could be like hey this character looks like um it could be, look like me this person talking in front of a zoom call right and he's in this office and these are the objects on his um table and that's the data point and being able to keep that data point and then also change that data point a little bit, um, depending on other variables. It's like, how do you create that? And the good news is it's already been done. It's not like anything that hasn't been done. There's advanced information architecture and lots of different pieces of software. We were just adding it to writing. And if you use tools like Scrivener today, they already had like, hey, create your settings, characters, and um, those type of variables and elements. We just wanted to add another layer of depth to that. 
because that was more, Hey, like my character looks like this and just like some text. Right. But not enough to really create continuation in a narrative. And that's where we got excited. And we're like, okay, well, if we can do that, then ultimately we can create not just, you know, scripts and, and books, um, reusing this data and over and over again. So it's easier for people to write, but ultimately that data that is not automatically seen within the script, but is seen underneath it within all that metadata that's stored can then turn into things like movies or, you know, just advanced visuals. So that's the point that we're at now is like, we're like, okay, well, now that we have all this metadata that we can store, that's what we can create. I don't know if that goes, answers your question, but. <laughs> it's a very thorough origin. Sorry. No, I took, took a few notes. So I guess first question actually is who are some of the power users of uh, your platform today? Like who are the writers coming to it, using it? And what sort of industries or use cases are they, are they coming to you with? Yeah. So it's AI space is really interesting when it comes to writing is mostly early adopters. Um, there's a whole section of the writing world that hates our product for sure. Um, a lot of people in the screenplay world hate our product. Those are also our best converting users at the same time. They're strange that this, like the shift happening where people are realizing like, oh, this is a thing and gives me advantage. But there's also that other side where uh, we've reached out to publications to cover us. And they'll be like, you are the worst tool ever. You're everything that's wrong with this industry. And, and I get that. Um, and there's also this writer strike happening at the same time, which, you know, that doesn't help anything. <laughs> but there's also people who do get in and are like, okay, this is the future. Let me see how this works. So the people who do use it really like the product. But yeah, it is very split down the middle. Yeah, it's definitely a very sensitive time right now to launch or to have this type of product out there. Uh, it's not just your product. I'm sure Microsoft has receive similar sort of pushback in terms of their writing co-pilots and, and whatnot. And yeah, especially with this current strike that's going on and just the tension around like, oh, okay, if AI is doing more of this writing, then where does that leave the rest of the people to and what, how can they make a living and how can they preserve their, you know, themselves and for the future? So I guess, is this an area that you feel, will it continue to be a really big topic of concern in your opinion? Or is this something that with many like technology innovations, right? Once you get this over this initial bump or this initial hurdle, that the path forward actually looks very rosy. I do think we just have to get over this initial hurdle. And one of the reasons I say that writings is in a big part based on feedback and editing. And when I think of feedback, get feedback from your editor that can be like, Hey, you didn't, you know, write this correctly for whatever reasons, but there's also visual feedback, which is you write a scene and now you can actually see that scene visually. And you're like, Oh, wow. It actually doesn't look great visually. And something that people weren't able to do before. And you can get that immediate feedback and you can do that with images and you could do that with video. Right. And you're like, these people talking together in this restaurant, this is not a natural flow of conversation. And I really thought it was when I was writing this out. And that's much better feedback than anything that we've seen today. So I think that alone is going to be very remarkable and how that changes how people write and the quality of writing. Yeah, I do think that's a definitely a new paradigm where I, I, I hear or listen to many interviews from actors and actresses where like they read the initial screenplay and they just like visually get it. They know 
they can see themselves in it. They can see the, the story unfold. Um, but more often than not, I think if you're just given a raw script, maybe it takes some time to figure that out or to see that happening. But if you tie that with a lot of the generative AI work happening in images and video and all that, where you can maybe create a mini trailer just from the text to, to video or text to image, I think that starts to open people's minds to be like, oh yeah, this can actually help me and not just be a tool that will just take away from me. Yeah, 100%. Um, I also think that, did you see that it was a, a video that went viral recently about creation of like a South Park episode using AI? I thought it was sort of funny when I saw that because it reminded me a lot of what we're doing. Um, but in order to create that outcome, you have to map all the characters, you have to map the settings. And um, it's not easy. It's not like, hey, just create this scene with these characters, all those characters and those settings have to be mapped already. One of the things that I think we're moving towards is shareable data regarding mapping. So for example, if you want to create a South Park episode, I'm like, oh, here are the elements to do that. So here's the settings, here are the characters. And I'll just share that with you. So now you can go create an episode of South Park. That's going to be, I think, a whole new job that's going to open up for people who I think were normally just storytellers. I want to call writers just writers, but they're storytellers, right? And they're like, oh, how do I create like the best storytelling package? And now I can sell this package and people can create using my worlds that I built, right? Or maybe it's, you know, whatever it may be. And I'm excited to get there. I think that's that's a big what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, well, one thing that you mentioned that was actually very interesting to me was the bootstrapping phase of, of this company. And I think it's a story that's maybe not as told too often of just the initial formation of company, getting it off the ground, especially in a space that can be very capital intensive, whether it's AI or just overall product app building. Can you maybe share a little bit more of like how you journeyed through that stage and like what, what got you to be like, okay, I'm going to pull the trigger. Let's, let's go do this. Walk, walk through the process. Yeah, I would say there's a number of things involved. One is when I left the agency that I was running, I didn't leave on in the cleanest way. Um, didn't have a great partnership with my co-founder. And I was also maybe like 10 years younger at the time. <laughs> so still learning, right? And um, didn't leave going, oh my gosh, you know, I can get back into the agency world. This is exciting. You know, it was very burnout from that and was not very employable. I don't think I've had a job like an, uh, for more than maybe like six months. And, uh, for whatever reason, and I also knew that and I was like, okay, well, I got to do something else. I was like, well, I need enough clients to at least enable me to start another company, um, where I can, or test out enough ideas that are not that do really high barrier to entry, like software, um, courses, community, those things have less of a barrier to entry. So that made more sense to me. Uh, and also I used to run one of the largest communities for founders and growth marketers back in the day. This is maybe like, again, around 10 years ago. And I know a little bit about how to build community, but I was like, it makes sense now, you know? And that's when I started learning about technical writing. And I also uh, had a good friend, his name's Kevin Lee. He was the original founder of Product HQ. 
and talked to him for a bit. I said, Hey, um, do you mind if I just like try to improve your revenue? I think I know a lot about community building courses and worked out an agreement and then worked out a couple agreements after that to get product HQ to where it is today. And through that learning process immediately, I think within the first three months, I had enough confidence to start two other ones. And I was like, okay, there's, I know enough of the space to know what spaces I can also do this in and what will pull my interest. It took a lot of questioning too, because creating learning material, you have to be interested in it. Otherwise you get really burnt out. <laughs> That's just how it works. Uh, and especially if you're recording, you know, some courses are like 20 hours long and the scripts for them are maybe like 200 pages. And then you have to do it three or four times over just to improve that one course, right? Understanding what I was passionate about took me back to, I'd say even earlier years. I was like, okay, what do you love? I'm like, you love writing. I mean, I have this big writing tattoo on my arm. <laughs> so what's it say? It says uh, peace, love, and purpose. And the idea behind it is uh, everything needs temporary purpose in life and even life is temporary. So having temporary purpose is important to move forward. And for me, I was like, what is, I want that to be related to writing in some way. Um, how do I do that? So that was also part of the motivation. It's like, you know, once you have a tattoo, it's sort of, you have to do it. Otherwise it becomes pretty worthless, right? <laughs> Um, and yeah, the first signal that I got was releasing the technical writing course, which was our flagship course. And that started bringing in sales. I think we ranked well on Google for it. Uh, that was a big part of it. And I think just from ranking on Google, we brought in around 4k a month. I was like, Oh, 4k a month, just from ranking with this one course. And the course at the time was not even that good. It was the first version of it. And there wasn't even really any social validation, none of that. And I was like, oh, well, maybe I can get this to like 10K a month if I work a little bit harder and do all the things. And then um, now the company, I would say, I think we do around like 700K a year. So, and there's maybe people who work on it. So, and uh, in that process, you know, also just doing the same things for HR University, which, uh, that was, that's a base HR training space. I like to invest in HR training, um, technical writing training, not as much, not as well known, but we do cover a lot of facets in there, like UX writing training, medical writing training, knowledge management, and grant writing, a lot of other verticals. Yeah. Well, very fascinating. And I think it just shows that there's a lot of grit that you've demonstrated throughout this whole process. So it's kudos to you for persevering and getting it to, yeah, a, a very good outcome. And now you can now parlay that into what you're currently doing at, at Squibbler. So super cool. Well, in terms of a topic that I, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts about is, right, we've talked you know, a bit about how AI for sure can be transformative in the, the writing space, disruptive as we've seen. But something that I'd love to hear your thoughts on is, what would you say is something that is not as talked about or is not as covered in the space of AI? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the idea, and this brings me back to something I mentioned earlier, is shareable data. I don't think people have gotten to that point of even thinking about it, where uh, they're they're very focused on how do we do this in a very complicated way to produce an outcome. You know, when I think of something that's shareable and I'm like, oh, I want this website template. And so it's like, oh, here's a zip file. Now you can have the same template that I have. I'm like, why don't we have that for AI yet? Uh, and 
I feel like we're moving in that direction. It's just taking a little bit longer. And part of it is that you need a lot of data to produce outcomes. And you have to really understand what the outcome is and be able to communicate that too. So like, I think about that South Park episode is like, how can we can't just share all that data in a zip file and be like, here you go. Um, and I believe that's going to happen at some point. And the same thing goes for thinking of surgeries uh, earlier. And when you're trying to train someone to do a surgery, you're, you're like, okay, there's a number of ways to do it that become more advanced where you could do it through actually like putting on like VR and doing it that way. And a uh, whole company is now built around that. And in order to recreate these rooms, right? A surgery room is like, why does a company have to recreate it from scratch every time? Why can't they just grab, you know, a zip file and be like, here we go. Now the room is here. I think AI is a lot more useful when it has more data to play with and it has very specific outcomes. But if there's not data to play with, it becomes very unintelligent <laughs> and it doesn't go far. So you have to give people data. It's like the reason why chat GPT works great is there's lots of data that backs it, right? But on a lot of these other products that want to create better outcomes, it's like they're just stuck with that data. You know, we want to also enable consumers to create data packages and companies create data packages where they can share them together very efficiently. Uh, and someone's going to do it and just, you know, whoever will do it is going to do really well. It's just a matter of time. I mean, we already see it today with every other industry and I'm not exactly sure what it's going to look like, but it's going to happen at some point. Don't you think that there are some competing interests slash not enough incentive for people to maybe share some of these things, especially if they feel like they have this sort of distinct advantage with AI that they can capitalize on? A hundred percent. And that's definitely part of the challenge. And I think you have to rate enough. Um, like when I think of our product, I'm like, wow, we probably have to create enough data templates for people to use, like enough elements where we're not going to just be able to, Hey, like you can create your own elements and then do it. They're going to be like, they're going to think, wow, it's going to take me a ton of time to create all these elements to create this world. Um, and as awesome as this world may be, I don't want to spend this whole time creating all this, you know, all these. So that is also the cost of, of doing business, right? Is you have to put a lot of investment towards creating lots of packages to create these worlds and settings, whatever that may be. It may be an office setting, maybe a surgery room setting. And that way people can just grab and go. Uh, and it's something that we're working on today. And we've also realized like, wow, this is probably why it's not getting done is it's not cheap to do this. And um, it's going to take quite a bit of time and also then trying to make it very consumer friendly is like a whole nother thing. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah, we're, I want to say we're still pretty far out, like just as an industry in general from it happening, but once it does happen, things move very quickly. Yeah. And I'm excited for that. Well, perfect transition to my next question, which is outside of writing, right. And let's say outside of the intersection of AI and writing, is there anything that you're like super looking forward to or seeing the next evolution of uh, in some other space in tech technology and applied to somewhere? I would say, you know, I focus mostly on the writing and training space. So I look a lot at, at training videos. So we have like Syntasia that's in that space. And um, I don't know if anybody has played around with it that's watching, but if you play around with the tool a little bit, 
And uh, I know it's, you don't actually have to buy it to play around with it. Just FYI. Cause I know they're, they're like, Hey, well, here's custom pricing. It's very expensive. Um, it still doesn't look real. You're still going like, what's going on here. But the training space is so big. When I think of sales training, product training, HR training. So all those training videos. And right now they're pretty much just meeting this minimum requirement because they're so expensive to create. And I think there's a whole shift that's going to happen there at some point. And some companies already do it. Um, I know my, Microsoft does this with some of their trainings where they actually add storylines to their training. So they're like, okay, we have to tr- uh, have this training on compliance. How do we make compliance interesting? And we have to put 50,000 people through this compliance training. And they'll invest the time to make it more, I would say, production quality and add humor to it and do all those things. Now, how do you do that if you're not Microsoft, right? <laughs> you don't have the budget to do that. So I think that's a space I'm really looking forward to where you can actually add storylines to training and just removing yourself from the picture and be like, okay, um, I don't have to put myself in these videos over and over again. You know, I'm saved as this data point. And then these other people are saved as data points and I'll show us interacting and I'll do it in a way where it doesn't look as I want to say inauthentic as what's getting produced today. We're very close, but not close enough. And part of the reason for that is, and I think it's because things aren't also written in a screenplay format. So when you look at final draft, which is I'd say the most popular screenplay editor today and how things are written there and how things are written within a regular text editor for Syntasia or Google Docs, you'll notice that there's always these brackets going on within a screenplay that's like, oh, and then the audience laughs or it provides emotion through it. And But if you're using a tool like Syntasia or even similar competitors, they don't do that at all. So that's why there's this sort of static emotion going on. But then you have to teach the world how to write in a screenplay format, right? <laughs> so that in itself is a learning curve. And it's like, is that the way that people are going to be able to then use AI to create better training videos is to learn how to write in screenplay format? Um, I don't necessarily think so, but something's going to happen there. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's good. And the Synthesia product, to me, it's like, I think there's an implicit assumption that, oh, if you put a human in front of the training material, then that by itself is like enough to make training videos more engaging. But I, I very much have those videos that you're referring to that uh, Microsoft has invested more money into to say like, hey, we want our 200,000 plus employees to go through mandatory compliance training or security training, but we need to make it interesting. Otherwise, there's no point. I, I think there's definitely a huge gap, but it starts to intrude into the truly like human creativity side of, yeah, how do you tell the story? How do you make it engaging, entertaining, and then weaving it all together, not just with a face that you could digitally create, but the interactions between multiple people and actors and and whatnot. So, Yeah, I think even just a small amount of interaction can do wonders. Right now, we're working on um, a video output of just like, how do we recreate a TED Talk where we show audience and then maybe like two people asking questions from the audience and then going back to the presenter. And that one in itself would be a whole nother level of video. And part of that is you get added social validation from seeing an audience. You get 
multiple points of interaction from people asking questions. And uh, yeah, it's just not something that's there yet, but it's definitely coming. And I think the the real question is like, how do you add more variables and still have a very significant outcome from that? Well, as we kind of wind down this time, one question I'd love to hear your thoughts on is, especially for someone like yourself, who's maybe entering AI from a unique uh, lane, right? And, and, and your background, your interests, what sort of advice would you give for people maybe who are currently on the outside looking in saying, seeing that I, hey, I need to attention, I need to do something. I need to make a pivot in my own life, in my career to equip myself for this. I guess what, what advice, what sort of guidance would you give to, to that? Yeah, I think there's the avenue of, you know, going down a career of working for a company and then also starting a company, you know, in AI, it's like, how would it benefit you as like, if you were working in a company and one of the things I think of is I think of like our technical writing training, where a lot of people who work as like just blog writers or copywriters or jobs are getting replaced. Um, and, but technical writing is safe because technical writers write about what's new regarding products. And then the AI gets trained on that. Right. So you have to look at like where it, what does AI need? AI needs data. Who comes up with data? Where does that data come from? Well, that data comes from like communication touch points with engineers. And often that's coming from like product people talking with engineers. Right. And that gets turned into documentation. I would look at the touch points that create the data. Um, and if you are involved in those touch points and you can streamline those touch points effectively, your job is going to be safe for a very long time. So just like technical writers, you know, focus on creating new material for AI to get trained on. Same do like some product managers and, you know, also of course, engineers, because they're literally working on the, the new features, right? Um, I would definitely look into those things. And then for, I think the route of becoming like a founder in the AI space is definitely something where I think you have to focus on the problem first. AI can help almost anything that you work on today. I haven't really seen anything that I can't help. Obviously you have, especially when it comes to software, right? And if you focus on the problem first, um, AI will be a natural extension of it. And it almost be, um, I would say a very important extension of it, but also you have to look at the market and you may not have a lot of competitors and you may also just not even need AI to take your market. And then AI is just a bonus. Joshua, very fascinating discussion. I guess very lightning round question is if you were to recommend one book to someone that's been just very influential, transformative in your own life, what would you say that is? Yeah, I would say there's this book called Every Page is Page One. And it's a book on information architecture and actually how uh, Google is ran today and how people consume information off of Google. And it's, I would say I got a lot of good understandings of how information ar architecture is built from that book, which has helped me do the things that I do today. And uh, if you don't know how data is stored and how it interacts with each other and how people consume data and also consume it from a consumer friendly way, not just like, hey, I stored this data and now the only person that can use it is this engineer who understands it, right? Um, that is a helpful book for sure. Yeah. yeah, well, I can hear just from all these responses, right? There's this huge passion for writing, for training, and even just bridging the gap between the technical and the non-technical and, 
and educating people. So thank you for all that you're doing to, to make the world more intelligible place. And I guess for the audience, if they are looking to, to find you, connect with you in whatever way, what's the best way to, to find you? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, just Josh Vector. And yeah, just make sure to note where you found me from and I'll go ahead and connect with you and answer any of your questions. Well, if any listeners want to connect with Josh, definitely do so. But yes, Josh, again, thank you so much for coming on to the, the podcast and really enjoyed having you here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Hey, thanks for listening to Humans of AI. If you're building something with AI or perspectives you want to share, drop me a note at alex at humansofai.xyz. And be sure to subscribe to my newsletter, Chaos Theory. Until next time, this is Alex, Resident Chaos Coordinator. <laughs>